I'm Redmond Bacon, and this is Cinemascapes. On Netflix, the high-stakes, balls-to-the-wall craziness of Tiger King and the chill-out family drama of Uncorked. Meanwhile, on YouTube, dive deep into an oft-neglected archive of classic Soviet comedy, courtesy of Mosfilm. Springtime is here. The sun is coming out, slowly, at least, and one can go for long walks without needing that many extra layers. Well, except for the fact that you can't really go anywhere at all. No matter where you are in the world, except if you live on a remote island in the Pacific Ocean, everything is closed, leading you to click once again on Netflix to see what the streaming giant has to offer. First of all, the show that everybody has been talking about, Tiger King. A TV show heavy on big animals, American outlandishness, and subplots nestled within subplots. It's ostensibly a character study of its central character, Joe Exotic, a gay, mythic, cowboy-like figure with two husbands who owns a private zoo in Oklahoma. As the title suggests, the main draw of the zoo is its hundreds of exotic animals, mostly tigers, ranging from tiny cute little cubs to huge ferocious beasts. Exotic, real name Schreibvogel, is a man unafraid of a few big cats, constantly using them for his own zoo-based reality TV show. There are more captive tigers in the US than there are in the wild throughout the world. Animal people are nuts, man. They're all crazy. I'm sure y'all got a story to tell. Joe is the main draw of this entire story, a larger-than-life exotic hero that, despite some of his more questionable behavior, simply exudes energy. It seems that you need to be a big character to be involved in the cat business. His mentor, Doc Antle, is one of those yoga gurus who rides on an elephant, has four wives at any given time, and seems to literally run a cult. While Exotic's antagonist, Carol Baskin, dedicated to saving these animals and running her own sanctuary, which relies heavily on unpaid volunteers, is a woman who just doesn't know the meaning of kitsch, her house awash in disgusting leopard and tiger print patterns, as far as the eye can see. America is crazy. We learn that there are more exotic tigers in America than in the entirety of the wild itself. These ostensibly awful people seemingly responsible for keeping the race alive, even as they cage up these beautiful creatures and prevent them from living their real lives. There's a real debate to be had here about the ethics of cat captivity, which Tiger King often situates in relation to the sheer outlandishness of its characters. This is the realm of the ridiculous, spanning from the two great states of American excess, Florida, with one man literally inspiring Oliver Stone's Scarface, to Nevada, more specifically Las Vegas, a city where Instagram models can fondle cute tiger kittens as they are limousined from casino to casino. It starts big and only gets bigger from there, with Joe Exotic, a multiple gun owner, drug addict, country singer, and possible 
a legal cat trafficker, even running for president in 2016, before running an actually decent attempt at Oklahoma state governor. Just as I think, well, it's going to be spinning wheels from here, the show finds another angle, bringing in a strip club owner, or a professional con man, or some other reprobate, for example, to suddenly make things feel crazy again. All in all, it's a great example of the possibilities of the true crime docudrama to swerve into multiple directions, becoming bigger and bigger in scope with each subsequent instalment. What a story! And it got way bigger! Sometimes they say that I'm the prototype for Scarface. We're supposed to be sexy because we're luring people in. You may now kiss the grooms. But it's also an example of the limits of the true crime doc drama. A seven-piece deep dive into the craziness of private zoos with a structure that purposefully leaves out key revelations. The idea is clear, to end each episode with an enigmatic cliffhanger to get people clicking onto the next episode. And it worked. A New Yorker headline describes it like this. I clicked, and seven hours passed. The key question still remains. Did it need to be seven hours long? The first episode, for example, shoots a bunch of unanswered questions at you that won't be resolved till far, far later, acting like a short summary at the top of a Wikipedia page before the actual piece. Subsequent episodes, such as a deep dive into Carol Baskin's potentially sordid behaviour, are less investigative journalism than merely a discussion of different theories, none of which seem backed by solid evidence. If the true crime docuseries is meant to shed light on certain matters, to make a complicated multi-year feud make sense, then Tiger King fails in this respect, preferring to revel in myths than actually uncover the truth within. The pinnacle of this epic genre is still ESPN's eight-part O.J. Simpson documentary, O.J. Made in America, which took a linear approach to the infamous character's life and made it feel truly thrilling, while also making sure that all the facts were properly looked over. Tiger King, on the other hand, is a bit too in love with its own sensationalism. There's a great character at the centre, and there are some amazing set pieces and scenes. And credit to directors Eric Good and Rebecca Shakelin, who stick with these people for several years. But at the same time, a more focused, fact-driven four-hour documentary, for example, would feel more effective and less exploitative, and probably make a better case for actually protecting these big cats of which their ownership still provokes no federal law against. As for whether you should watch it, for a rainy day it makes addictive binge viewing, its wanting structure making it easy to keep allowing the next episode to just roll in and roll in. See for yourself, or wait for the inevitable film adaptation with Woody Harrelson in the main role, Owen Wilson as Doc Antle, and Mel Streep as Carol Baskin. All in all, I give it a 7 out of 10. If Tiger King sounds a little too stressful, and by my, it is a hard watch, especially when people are just standing right next to huge cats that could just kill them at any moment. May I recommend the low, low stakes cooking versus wine movie, Uncorked, also streaming for your pleasure on Netflix. It is the debut film of insecure showrunner Prentice Penny, 
and it does actually feel like an elongated episode of that show featuring relaxing hip-hop beats from hip boy tv comedy like comedy relief and camera work that does the absolute basics it's a nice calming watch however depicting the memphis-based conflict between elijah mamadou afi and his father courtney b vance spurred on when the former states he wants to be a sommelier while his father wants him to carry on the family barbecue business. The joy of this movie lies in the small details of their respective industries. Barbecue is apparently a big deal in Memphis and often cooked using actual wood, seeing Lewis head into the wee small hours of the morning to find a logger to get the right wood that will burn for him just right. The world of being a sommelier is no less demanding one has to blind test several wines and guess whether it's a Chardonnay from France or an Austrian Riesling. I, for one, would be useless. Elijah is a very affable guy, however. We meet him early on working in an off-license, guiding a young girl through the different types of wines and comparing them to rappers. It's a bit goofy, but it shows how Elijah wants to make this type of industry accessible to folks like his working-class African-American family, who initially think that he wants to be a Somalian. <laughs> okay, so I want to become a master sommelier. Try being African? Is that like a pirate? No, that's a Somalian. Kelly Kendrick dated a Somalian. He stole her identity. Was well, she okay? I don't know. I don't be up in people's business like that. Then why did you bring it up? That don't make no sense. Afi carries this role of charm, perfectly placed against Courtney B. Vance as the harsh but fair dad who built two restaurants with his bare hands cooking traditional, gorgeous-looking barbecue meat. This conflict is put into relief when Elijah goes to Paris as part of a sommelier course, spending his own money to do so. It's a different look at the Parisian experience than we are used to. Elijah actually forced to work in a kebab shop at the end of the day in order to make ends meet. But the rest of this dramatic conflict is pretty rote and one-note. But somehow the film still mostly works. Sadly, Uncorked is another victim of the coronavirus. It was initially supposed to play at South by Southwest, where it would have enjoyed a warm reception, presumably by African-American critics with a relationship to this type of cooking. But that was cancelled, leading it to being dropped on Netflix with little to no fanfare. Well, I can't say that it's a masterpiece. It is a cute film that in its love of food and good wine it's definitely worth a watch. I give this a 6 out of 10. Весь покрытый зеленью, абсолютно весь. Остров невезения в океане есть. There's a channel far superior to Netflix though, YouTube. Not only is it absolutely free, but for fans of world cinema, it can represent a veritable treasure trove of foreign classics. This is especially true when it comes to the world of Moz Film, the largest film studio in Russia during the time of the Soviet Union. It is home to innumerable classics, producing films from directors such as Andrei Tarkovsky, Sergei Eisenstein and Mikhail Kalatozov. Even more impressive is that instead of doing something like Disney Plus Channel, 
They have acted like true comrades and put hundreds of their films freely accessible on YouTube with perfect English subtitles. The great thing about this is it gives one the chance to see a completely different side of the Soviet Union to what you may expect, especially from the films of Tarkovsky. This is especially true when it comes to comedies, of which the Soviets were sly masters. In this part of the podcast, I want to introduce you to the holy trinity of Russian comedy, Elder Ryazanov, Leonid Gaidai, and Georges Danelia. Let's start with Elder Ryazanov, whose films are so popular with Russian people that if you are in Russia listening right now, you can probably turn on the TV and find one currently playing. The irony of fate, for example, has become a New Year's Eve tradition in Russia, playing for five hours or something, including adverts, before the presidential address. But while that film, barely a movie instead of something to just have on in the background while you consume unholy amounts of food, is a bit too long and turgid, Office Romance is a great place to start with his work. Office Romance is kind of like the films of Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy, particularly the underrated desk set. A box office success upon its arrival, it tells the story of a stuck-up boss named Ludmila, Elisa Freindlich, who is the strict boss of Anatoly Yefremovich, played by Andrei Mryakov. While she is a strong woman, albeit nicknamed a frump by her colleagues, he is a bumbling fool, unable to pluck up the courage to ask for a raise. Yet naturally, the two of them fall in love, leading to a sweet romance that feels truly fresh for the way it arises within a natural office environment. It would be 34 years until Ricky Gervais came along with The Office before boring work and romance would be interwoven so perfectly again. Next up is Leonid Gaidai, who I quoted at the start of this segment with the song from The Diamond Arm. He might be my least favourite of the three, only because his films don't do as much behind the comedy, while Ryazanov and Danelia could find satire and sly commentary behind their scenes, Gaidai revels far more in pure stupidity. That said, his set pieces are like live Scooby-Doo films in action, accompanied by manic xylophone and balalaika heavy soundtracks. Characters run around, hit each other in the head, fall over and do it all over again with incredible aplomb and sense of manic craziness. I could recommend any number of his films, from The Diamond Arm to Ivan Vasilovich, Back to the Future, to Kidnapping Caucasian Style, but I personally enjoy Twelve Chairs the most. It features a classic Russian character in the form of Ostap Bender, a fictional conman who is constantly engaged in picaresque adventures. Basically, he's the Russian equivalent of Del Boy, always looking for ways to get ahead, leading him into a variety of hilarious pickles. What a plonker! Now finally, I would love to recommend the work of Georgi Danelia, beloved in Russia but barely known outside of Russian-speaking countries. This is an almighty shame, his warm wit and comic vision putting him on a par with any humanist filmmaker of the 20th century. For his breakthrough film, I would recommend the French new wave-like Walking the Streets of Moscow, featuring none other than Nikita Mikhailov, <laughs> I mispronounced that, sorry, who would later go on to direct the Oscar-winning yet ponderous Burnt by the Sun in one of his first film roles. It is a delightful exploration of city life that makes Moscow feel and sing like Paris under Godard, yet without the pretentiousness, of course, making it a naive, youthful, fun kind of film. The inspiration of which can be found in Kirill Serebnikov's Leto, also a black and white and released two years ago. It's also by far the shortest film on the list. 
try if you fancy something completely different to your usual Netflix fare. In fact, there's so much from the world of Mozfilm that I may recommend them or revisit them in later podcasts. There are simply too many great films to survey in just one episode. After all, Mozfilm, like Moscow, is kind of endless. А я иду, шагаю по Москве, но я пройти еще смогу. Соленый тихий океан и тундру и тайгу. Над лодкой белый парус распущу, пока не знаю с кем. Но если я подохну, загрущу, под снегом я фиалку тыщу. И вспомню о Москве.